days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may appoint to this task. While we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word, what they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicandor, Timon, Par- Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Dear Lord, help us to hear the meaning of the words of that song, Hear My Send Me, especially as we look deeper into your scripture lesson this morning. Help us to hear that message of sending us out to care for people who are hurting and in need. Lord, we need you to speak to us in such a way that we understand what you're trying to tell us as individuals and as a church. Forgive us when we, inside of ourselves, say, oh, Mary should have been here, or John should have been here, just to deflect what you're trying to tell us. So help us, Lord, to hear your voice. Don't let the preacher's words get in the way. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. When Jacob was running from his uh, brother Esau, you, you may recall the story of those two brothers, how Jacob uh, had really kind of tricked his uh, brother into selling his birthright for a bowl of soup, basically, and how later he actually stole the blessing that was due to the elder son, who was Esau. He stole it. Um, and uh, so Esau wasn't real happy <laughs> with his brother Jacob. And so so Jacob had to run. He had to flee from his brother Esau. And and. In that journey of fleeing, he found himself out in the out in the wilderness, and and uh, he um, he went to sleep at night. He put his head on a rock and fell asleep. And in his sleep, he had this dream of this ladder going up to heaven, and and on this ladder, angels were descending and ascending, going back and forth between heaven and himself. He, Jacob probably, when he went to sleep, probably felt very alone. Um, you know, he was confronted with his own sin, his own treachery, and so he probably thought God had abandoned him. But in his dream, he got the message that 
that God had not in fact abandoned him but was with him. And so when he woke up from his sleep and the dream was now over, he, he took that rock on which he had laid his head and he, and he stood it up and he made it a, a sort of monument, a, a memorial to what happened that evening. And he, and he said, and you can find the words in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And that's why he called that rock, that, that place, he called it Bethel. Bethel. It comes from the two words, Bethel, house of God. What he was saying is that this place now was a sacred place because God was there. When he went to sleep, it was just a rock out in the wilderness. But now it was Bethel, house of God, a sacred place where God resided. Later, when Moses was confronted by God at the burning bush up on that mountain, you may Recall the story where God speaks out of the burning bush and says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and free my people. But, but before that whole conversation began, God says, and we find God's words in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, God says to Moses, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. So, you, you see, the place was holy not because there was a burning bush, but because God was present. That's what made the place sacred. It was holy because of God's presence, much like the rock with Jacob became a sacred space because of the presence of God. Suffice it to say, wherever you find God, the place becomes sacred ground. So my question is, where do we find God today? Where is our sacred ground. Where do we go? What rock, what burning bush is there out there that is sacred for us? I think Jesus made it pretty clear where the sacred space might be. And we read that in chapter 25 of Matthew's gospel, beginning with verse 35, as Jesus speaks to his disciples I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Of course, the, you know, where do we see all that? The disciples wanted to know. So he says in verse 40, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. In other words, wherever you find people in need and you find people reaching out to them and caring for them, that's where you'll find Jesus and therefore that's where you'll find God. And so that's where you'll find that sacred place. That's, that's our Bethel. That's our burning bush, you see is where there are people who are in need and where there are people who are responding. If you want to look for God, look there. Now, in that, in that scripture that I just read to you about, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me food, and thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Notice 
he says, I was in prison and you visited me. Now, that sounds, you know, makes sense. I was in prison and you, and you came there and visited me. But what we don't see, that's, that's our English translation of, of the Greek. But the word that is used for visited me in Greek, the word that was, how it was written by the, uh, the writer of, the Matthew, of Matthew's gospel, the word is diakonos, diakonos, which literally means to serve, to minister to, to wait on like a, a wait person would wait on a person at a table in a restaurant. It's to serve someone. It's to minister to them. We have it translated, I was in prison and you visited me, but more literally, I was in prison and you waited on me. I was in prison and you cared for me. You ministered to me. You served me. That's where we get the word deacon. You know, In the United Methodist Church, when I started out in ministry, I was ordained a deacon first and then later be- was ordained an elder. Uh, today that has changed, and now there are two separate orders. You can become an, a deacon. It's a, it's a, a, a um, you know, a clergy order, but um, but it's separate. And so you can be a deacon for the rest of your life, or you can be an elder. In the Baptist Church, a deacon is uh, is a layperson who who serves and ministers in in the congregation. It's also where we get the word diaconal, diaconal minister. The deacons of today used to be uh, diaconal ministers. We no longer consecrate diaconal ministers, but uh, that was the order that preceded that of deacon. But both of them, whether it's diaconal or deacon, comes from the same word diaconus, which means to serve. You know the story, remember, of Martha and Mary with Jesus in their house and how Martha is serving and and is upset with her sister Mary because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Well, when the scriptures tell us that that she was serving, that Martha was serving, it's that word, diaconus, that's used. When the disciples wanted to know who was the greatest among them, Jesus said to them, These words that we find in Luke's gospel, the 22nd chapter, the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You see, Jesus using the word diaconus is telling us that Jesus is among his friends as a servant. And he's calling on us to do the same. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's the one who serves. Do you want to know where that sacred place is, where you can find God? Look where people are serving. Look for the servants among us. They will show us where God is. That's why I've titled my message, Servanthood is a Sacred Task. Because you see, serving puts us in the presence of God. It's, it's serving that puts us in that sacred place where God resides. In the early church, 
Servants were needed for the widows. You may recall my sharing with the children this morning. Uh, the reason the, the widows needed help was because, according to the book of Acts, they were the Hellenists. In other, in other words, in a Hebrew family, it was understood that uh, a, a woman would be cared for by her husband or her, her sons or by her uh, brothers-in-law, uh, and it would go on and on, uh, you know, out into the extended family that if, if a woman lost her husband, if she became a, a widow, the Hebrew women would be taken care of by the community, by that larger uh, extended family that she would be a part of. But that was not the case with the Hellenists. The Hellenists were Greek converts to Christianity. And so they didn't have that, that Hebrew understanding of family. And probably even among their extended family, they were probably ostracized because they had, my goodness, they had converted to this religion of a Jewish prophet, you know. And so their Greek family members probably just kind of shunned them. And so uh, a Hellenist, he, uh, a Hellenist uh, widow would be out there all by herself. And so the apostles set aside Stephen and Philip and, and five other um, men of the, of the early church to care for this task. It was a sacred task. And that's why hands were laid upon them. If it was just a mundane kind of, okay, go on, could you take, could you take some soup to the widow down the street? I mean, but it wasn't that. It was a sacred task. Because you see, what they were, what they were becoming, these seven men were becoming the hands of Christ. They were becoming the presence of God in the lives of these widows that made their task a sacred task indeed. That's why from the list of 20 spiritual gifts, I have placed evangelism in among the three that I have categorized as, as gifts of servanthood. This yellow sheet that, that I'm holding, it, it's in our, our connection kiosks around the church. I really encourage you to take one. It lists the 20 spiritual gifts that are listed in the Bible and it also gives a little paragraph, kind of a summary of each one of those gifts. The reason I encourage you to take one is I want you know read through them and see if you can, if you can uh, ascertain what your gifts are. And and if you want to know more about what your gifts might be, th there's information on this sheet that tells you how you can go online and how you can uh, do an assessment and you can determine. Uh, through this assessment, what your spiritual gifts are. It might be one, it might be, might be 20. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Now, as I said last week, you know, I've, I've, over these five Sundays of October, I'm, I've kind of grouped uh, these 20 into different categories so we can kind of have some understanding of them uh, without taking 20 Sundays to, to do all the spiritual gifts. And so this Sunday, we're talking about the spiritual gifts of servanthood and the three gifts that I would put in that category would be evangelism, helping, and of course, servanthood. Servanthood it goes without saying what, uh, what we've just talked about and why that would be part of this category. Helping is very similar to, uh, to servanthood, 
but helping might be helping in another way, you know, maybe uh, helping uh, set up the band or, you know, helping do, uh, you know, set up the, uh, you know, our food for refreshments, you know, at church, or it might be, you know, helping in a lot of different ways, whereas servanthood is, is more about, you know, washing feet and, and uh, caring for people who are down and out and that kind of thing. Helpers often help servants, you know, so it's not like they're mutually exclusive. But why evangelism, you might ask? Why is that part of this category of servanthood? Evangelism means bringer of good news. Those who serve in the name of Christ, if you think about it, they bring good news of God's love to people in need. Stephen cared for the widows, so he was carrying the good news to the widows, but he was also carrying it well beyond that. And in fact, that's what got him into trouble, if you remember. He, he was telling people about the love of God, and, uh, and he was eventually martyred for, for his faith. He was the first of the Christian martyrs. Philip was among the seven who were helping the widows, and if you remember that story of, of him going out on the road leading to Gaza, how he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch and how he converted the, uh, or with the help of the Holy Spirit, the Ethiopian eunuch was converted and Philip baptized him in, into the faith. So both of them, Stephen and, and Philip, both were called out to be servants, but they were also very much evangelists as they carried the love of Christ wherever they went. Do you want to bring good news to the people of Puerto Rico? Then bring them electricity and water and food and shelter. You know, that would be good news to them. You want to share the good news with people in California or Florida or, or Texas? Then how about help in rebuilding their homes and their lives? There can't be a more poignant way to share the good news of Christ than by helping people such as these. You see, serving is a sacred task because it brings Christ near. If you want to see a growing and vibrant church, if you want to look around and say, what church is really, you know, going like gangbusters, just look for one that takes servanthood seriously. Luke writes in his book of Acts, these words that is part of our lesson today. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. What does that sound like? That sounds like an exciting church to be a part of. Word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly. I mean, wow, they were just bursting at the seams. And it is no accident that when Luke tells his story of the early church in, in his book of Acts, it is no accident that he tells this story of the church just kind of bursting out right on the heels of Stephen and the other six men being set apart to serve the widows, to care for them. It was all part and parcel of what the church was all about in those days. That's what happens when the people of God take seriously the task of serving others. At the end 
of that last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was arrested and crucified. The scriptures tell us that he took a towel and he put it around his waist and began to wash his disciples' feet. And um, John, <coughs> excuse me, John tells that story <clears throat> in his gospel. And we, we read about this in the 13th chapter of his gospel. <clears throat> After Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, but that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are the messengers greater than the one who sent them. You see, thank you. You see, what Jesus is saying is that we, we're called to wash one another's feet just as, just as he washed his, his disciples' feet. Jesus is calling us to that sacred task of serving others. And I, I call it a sacred task because that is how we open the door for people to come into the presence of God. Just like Jacob put up that rock in the wilderness and said, surely the Lord is in this place. When he was down and out and he thought God had forsaken him, there was the message that he received, that God was with him. And when Moses had to deal with that issue of going back to Egypt, God says, take off your shoes because this is a sacred place because I'm here. And what Jesus is telling us is if you want to find God in your life and you want to take God to those who don't think God is there, then you and I need to become servants. What does that look like? It looks like serving in our soup kitchen or repairing homes in Appalachia and Evergreen, building an orphanage in Haiti. It's, it's teaching guitar to a young person in, uh, in Lithuania, sewing a prayer quilt, taking communion to our shut-ins or writing them notes, providing a sanctuary for people fleeing violence in, in our downtown means volunteering in our local jail. And you see, the list can go on and on and on. The video that we saw earlier, wow, wow. Does that not say the church is alive and well in downtown Charlottesville? Jesus told Peter in one of his last conversations with his friend, if you love me, then feed my sheep. And of course, Jesus was talking about more than these four-legged creatures. Peter knew that. What Jesus was talking about is love your neighbor, love those in, in times of need. And that's what Peter writes about later in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 4. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. We've all been given gifts and God is calling us to use them so others might come to know the love and grace 
of Jesus Christ. But you and I have a choice. You see, we've been given a gift. In fact, most of us have been given several gifts. Just imagine, for instance, that that gift is like this, this cloth. For some, you might feel like, well, you just have one little gift and wonder how God will want me to use that gift. For others, it might be so full, it would weigh down the cloth because of all the gifts that God has given us. Well, we have a choice, you see. We can, uh, we can use it as a napkin and say, okay, come on and feed me. Come on. Sit down at the table and say, come on, Lord. Feed me. Give me your blessings. Or we can turn it into an apron. And we can say, where, Lord, do you want me to serve? Where are the dirty feet? Where are the tears on the cheeks that need to be dried? That's our choice, you see. It's pretty simple. Do we want others to know the love of God in Christ Jesus? Well, you can either try to do it with a napkin, or you can really do it with an apron. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that we can just tell people about you as if that's going to be enough. Help us, Lord, to to take the sacred into those common places of grief and struggle and pain and help us to give of ourselves so that others might know of your love. Amen.